Yes, I have tricks in my pocket. I have things up my sleeve. But I am the opposite of a stage magician. He gives you illusion that has the appearance of truth. I give you truth in the pleasant disguise of illusion. To begin with, I turn back time. I reverse it to that quaint period, the 30s, when the huge middle class of America was matriculating in a school for the blind. Their eyes had failed them, or they had failed their eyes. And so they were having their fingers pressed forcibly down on the fiery braille alphabet of a dissolving economy. In Spain there was revolution. Here there was only shouting and confusion. In Spain there was Guernica. Here there were disturbances of labor, sometimes pretty violent in otherwise peaceful cities such as Chicago, Cleveland, St. Louis. This is the social background of the play. The play is memory. Being a memory play, it is sentimental. It is not realistic. In memory, everything seems to happen to music. That explains the fiddle. I am the narrator of the play, and also a character in it. The other characters are my mother Amanda, my sister Laura, and a gentleman caller who appears in the final scenes. He is the most realistic character of the play, being an emissary of a world of reality that we were somehow set apart from. But since I have a poet's weakness for symbols, I am using this character also as a symbol. He is the long-delayed but always expected something that we live for. There is a fifth character in the play who doesn't appear except in this larger-than-life-size photograph over the mantle. This is our father, who left us a long time ago. He was a telephone man who fell in love with long distances. He gave up his job with the telephone company and skipped a life fantastic out of town. The last we heard of him was a picture postcard from Mazatlan on the Pacific coast of Mexico containing a message of two words. Hello, goodbye and no address. Tom? Yes, mother? We can't say grace until you come to the table. Coming, mother. I think the rest of the play will explain itself. Oh. Honey, don't push with your fingers. If you have to push with something, the thing to push with is a, a crust of bread and, and chew, chew. Animals have sections in their stomachs which enable them to digest food without mm. mastication. But human beings are supposed to chew their food before they swallow it down. They eat food leisurely, son, and really enjoy it. Well-cooked meals, lots of delicate flavors that have to be held in the mouth for appreciation. Mm. So chew your food and give your salivary glands a chance to function. I haven't enjoyed one bite of this dinner because of your constant directions on how to eat it. It's you that makes me rush through meals with your hawk-like attention to every bite I take. Sickening. Spoils my appetite, all this discussion of animal secretion, salivary glands, mastication. Temperament like a metropolitan star. You're not excused from the table. I'm getting a cigarette. Oh, you smoke too much. I'll bring in the blamage. Ah, oh, no, no, sister. 
No, sister, you be the lady this time. I'm already up. No, you resume your seat, little sister. I want you to stay fresh and pretty for gentlemen callers. Here. I'm not expecting any gentlemen callers. Well, sometimes they come when they're least expected. Well, I remember one Sunday afternoon in Blue Mountain. <laughs> I know what's coming. Yes, but let her tell it. Again? She loves to tell it. One Sunday afternoon in Blue Mountain, your mother received, well, 17 gentlemen callers. Well, sometimes there weren't chairs enough to accommodate them all. I had to bring in folding chairs from the parish house. How did you entertain these gentlemen callers? Oh, I understood the art of conversation. I bet you could talk. The girls in those days knew how to talk, I can tell you. Yes? Yeah, they knew how to entertain their gentlemen callers. Wasn't enough for a girl to be possessed of a pretty face and a graceful figure. Although I wasn't slighted in either respect, they also needed to have a nimble wit and a, a tongue to meet all occasions. What did you talk mm -hmm. about? Things of importance going on in the world. Never anything coarse or common or vulgar. Oh, my callers were gentlemen all. Among my callers were some of the most prominent young planters of the Mississippi Delta. Planters and sons of planters. There mm. was young Champ Laughlin, who later became vice president of the Delta Planters Bank. Hadley Stevenson, oh, who was drowned in Moon Lake, left his widow 150000 in government bonds. They were the Coutrea brothers, Wesley and Bates. Bates is one of my bright particular beaux. He got in a quarrel with that wild Wainwright boy and shot it out on the floor of Moon Lake Casino. Bates was shot through the stomach, died in the ambulance on his way to Memphis. His widow was also well provided for. Came into eight or 10,000 acres, that's all. She married him on the rebound, never loved her, carried my picture on him the night he died. And there was that boy that every girl in the Delta had set her cap for, that beautiful, brilliant, young Fitzhugh boy from Green County. Well, did he leave his widow? Well, he never married. <laughs> Gracious, you talk as though all my admirers had turned up their toes to the daisies. Isn't he the first you've mentioned that still survives? That Fitzhugh boy went north and made a fortune. Came to be known as the Wolf of Wall Street. He had the Midas touch. Whatever he touched turned to gold. And I could have been Mrs. Duncan J. Fitzhugh. But I picked your father. Mother, let me clear the table. Oh, no. No, dear. You, you go in front and study your typewriter chart. Or practice your Chopin a little. Stay fresh and pretty. It's almost time for our gentlemen calls to start arriving. How do you suppose we're going to entertain this afternoon? I don't believe we're going to receive any, Mother. One. Not one. You must be joking. <sighs> Not one gentleman caller. Happy truth. Must be a, a flood. It must have been a tornado. It isn't a flood. It's not a tornado, Mother. I, I'm just not popular like you were in Blue Mountain. Mother's afraid I'm going to be an old maid. My sister Laura is seated at the table. 
She wears a dress of soft violet, her hair tied back with a ribbon. She is washing and polishing her collection of glass. My mother ascends the fire escape. At the sound, Laura thrusts the bowl of ornaments away and seats herself stiffly before the diagram of the typewriter keyboard, as though it held her spellbound. Hello, mother. I was... Something has happened to my mother. How was the DAR meeting? Didn't you go to the DAR meeting, mother? No. No, I did not have the strength to go to the DAR. In fact, I did not have the courage. I wanted to find a hole in the ground and hide myself in it forever. My mother crosses to the wall and removes the diagram of the typewriter keyboard. She holds it in front of her staring at it sweetly and sorrowfully, then bites her lips and tears it into two pieces. Why did you do that, Mother? Why are you... Why? Why? How old are you, Laura? Uh, Mother, you know my age. Well, I thought you were an adult. Seems that I was mistaken. Please don't stare at me, Mother. What are we going to do... What is going to become of us? What is the future? Has something happened, Mother? (laughs) Mother, has something happened? I'll be all right in a minute. I'm just bewildered by life. Mother, I wish that you would tell me what's happened. As you know, I was supposed to be inducted into my office at the DAR this afternoon. But I stopped off at Rubicam's business college to speak to your teachers about you having a cold and ask them what progress I thought you were making down there. Oh. I went to the typing instructor and introduced myself as your mother. She didn't know who you were. Wingfield, she said. Well, we don't have any such student enrolled at the school. I assured her that she did. You've been going to classes since early in January. I wonder, she said, if you could be talking about that terribly shy little girl who dropped out of school after only a few days' attendance. No, I said, no, Laura, my daughter has been going to school every day for the past six weeks. Uh, Excuse me, she said. She took the attendance book out, and there was your name, unmistakably printed, and all the dates that you were absent until they decided that you had dropped out of school. Mother... I still said, no, no, there must have been some mistake. There must have been some mix-up in the records. And she said, no, no, I remember her perfectly now. Her hands shook so that she couldn't hit the right keys. The first time we gave her a speed test, she broke down completely, was sick at the stomach, and almost had to be carried into the washroom. After that morning, she never showed up anymore. We phoned the house, but never got any answer. While I was working a famous bar, I suppose. Well, I felt so weak I could barely keep on my feet. I had to sit down while they got me a glass of water. Fifty dollars tuition. All of our plans, my hopes and ambitions for you just got up the spout, just got up the spout like that. Laura, where have you been going when you got on pretending that you were going to business college? I've just been going out walking. Well, that's not true. It is. I just went walking. Walking? Walking in winter? Deliberately caught in pneumonia in that light coat? Where did you walk to, Laura? All sorts of places, mostly in the park. Even after you started catching that cold? It was the lesser of two evils, Mother. I couldn't go back up. 
I threw up on the floor. From half past seven till after five every day, you mean to tell me that you walked around the park because you wanted to make me think that you were still going to Ruby Camp's business college. It wasn't as bad as it sounds. I, I went inside places to get warmed up. Inside where? I went in the art museum and the oh. birdhouses at the zoo. I visited the penguins every day. Sometimes I did without lunch and, uh, and went to the movies. Well, lately I've been spending most of my afternoons in the jewel box. That big glass house where they raise the tropical flowers. You did all this to, to deceive me? Just for deception? Why? M Mother, when you're disappointed, you get that awful suffering look on your face. Like the picture of Jesus' mother in the museum. Oh, hush. I couldn't face it. What are we going to do the rest of our lives? Hmm? Stay home and watch the parades go by? Amuse ourselves with a glass menagerie, darling? Eternally play those worn-out phonograph records your father left as a painful reminder of him? Oh, well, we won't have a business career. We've given that up because it gave us nervous indigestion. <laughs> well, what is there left but dependency all our lives? Well, I know so well what becomes of unmarried women who aren't prepared to occupy a position. I've seen such pitiful cases in the South. Barely tolerated spinsters living upon the grudging patronage of sister's husband or brother's wife, stuck away in some little mousetrap of a room, encouraged by one in-law to visit another. Little bird-like women without any nest, eating the crust of humility all their life. Is that the future that we've mapped out for ourselves? I swear it's the only alternative that I can think of. And it isn't a very pleasant alternative, is it? Of course, some girls do marry. Haven't you ever liked some boy? Yes, I liked one once. Uh-huh. I uh, came across his his picture a while ago. What, he he gave you his picture? Uh, no, it's in the yearbook. Oh, high school boy. Yes, his name was Jim. Oh, here he is in the Pirates of Penzance. What? The, the operator that the senior class put on. He had a wonderful voice, and and we sat across the aisle from each other Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in the odd. Oh. oh, here he is with the silver cup for debating. <laughs> See his grin? I oh, must have had a jolly disposition. He, he used to call me Blue Roses. Why did he call you such a name as that? Oh, when I had that attack of pleurosis, he, he asked me what was the matter when I came back. I, I said pleurosis, and he thought that I said Blue Roses. <laughs> So that's what he always called me after that. Whenever he saw me, he'd holler, Hello, Blue Roses. I didn't care for the girl that he went out with, Emily Meisenbeck. Emily was the best-dressed girl at Soldam. She never struck me, though, as being sincere. It says in the personal section they're engaged. That's six years ago. They must be married by now. Girls that aren't cut out for business careers usually wind up married to some nice man. Sister, 
That's what you'll do. Uh, <laughs> but, Mother... Yes? Uh, I'm crippled. Nonsense, Laura. Now, I've told you never, never to use that word. Why, you're not crippled. You just have a little defect. Hardly noticeable, even. When people have some slight disadvantage like that, well, they cultivate other things to make up for it. Develop charm and, and vivacity <laughs> and... Uh, and charm. Well, that's all you have to do. One thing your father had plenty of was charm. <laughs> After the fiasco at Rubicum's business college, the idea of getting a gentleman caller for Laura began to play a more and more important part in Mother's calculations. It became an obsession. Like some archetype of the universal unconscious, the image of the gentleman caller haunted our small apartment. An evening at home rarely passed without some allusion to this image, this specter, this hope. Even when he wasn't mentioned, his presence hung in Mother's preoccupied look and in my sister's frightened, apologetic manner. Hung like a sentence passed upon the wingfields. Mother was a woman of action as well as words. She began to take logical steps in the planned direction. Late that winter and in the early spring, realizing that extra money would be needed to properly feather the nest and plume the bird, she conducted a vigorous campaign on the telephone, roping in subscribers to one of those magazines for matrons called The Homemaker's Companion. Operator, St. Louis 281, please. The type of journal that features the serialized sublimation of ladies of letters who think in terms of delicate cup-like breasts. Slim, tapering waists, rich, creamy thighs, and eyes like wood smoke in autumn. Ida Scott, oh, this is Amanda Wingfield. We missed you at the DAR last Monday. I said to myself, she's probably suffering with that sinus condition. How is that sinus condition? Oh, Horace, heaven have mercy. You are Christian martyr, that's what you are, a Christian martyr. Well, I just have happened to notice that your subscription to the Companion's about to expire. Yes, it, uh, it expires with the very next issue, honey. Just when that wonderful new serial by Bessie Mae Hopper's getting off to such an exciting start. Oh, honey, it's something you can't miss. Y you remember how Gone with the Wind took everybody by storm? It simply couldn't go out if you hadn't read it. All everybody talked about was Scarlett O'Hara. <laughs> well, this is a book the critics already compared to Gone with the Wind. It's the Gone with the Wind of the post-war generation. What? Well, burning? Now, oh, honey, don't, don't, don't let them burn. You, you go take a look in the oven and I'll hold the wire. Heavens. I think she hung up. my books. You had the nerve. I took that horrible novel back to the library. Yes, that hideous book by that insane Mr. Lawrence. I cannot control the output of diseased minds or people who cater to them, but I won't allow such filth brought into my house. House? Who pays the rent on it? Who makes a slave of himself? Oh, don't you dare say that. No, no. I mustn't say things. 
I've got to no. just... Let me tell you. I don't want to hear any more. You will hear me more. No. You will hear me. I won't hear more. I'm going out. Look, just come back here. Tom Wingfield, I am not oh, talking to you. Go away. Tom. You are going to listen. No more insolence from you. I'm at the end of my patience. What do you think I'm at? Aren't I supposed to have any patience to reach the end of, Mother? I know. I know. It seems unimportant to you what I am doing, what I want to do, having a little difference between them. You don't think that... I think you've been doing things that you ashamed of. That's why you act like this. I don't believe that you go out every night to the movies. Nobody goes to the movies night after night. Nobody in their right mind goes to the movies as often as you pretend to. People don't go to the movies at nearly midnight, and movies don't let out at 2 a.m. in the morning, come and stumble in, muttering to yourself like a maniac. You get three hours sleep and then you go to work. Oh, I can picture the way you doing down there, moping and doping, because you in no condition. No, I'm in no condition. What right have you got? to jeopardize your job, jeopardize the security of us all. How do you think we'll manage Listen, you and... do you think I'm crazy about the warehouse? You think I'm in love with the Continental Shoemakers? You think I want to spend 55 years down there in that Celotex interior with fluorescent tubes? I'd rather somebody picked up a crowbar and battered out my brains than go back mornings. I go... Every time you come in yelling that goddamn rise and shine, rise and shine, I say to myself how lucky dead people are. But I get up. I go, for $65 a month, I give up all that I dream of doing and being ever. And you say self? Self's all I ever think of? Why, listen, if self is what I thought of, mother, I'd be where father is. Gone. As far as the system of transportation reaches. No, Don't grab at me, mother. Where are you going? I'm going to the movies. I don't believe that lie. I'm going to opium dens. Yes, opium dens. Dens of vice and criminals. Hangouts, mother. I joined the Hogan gang. I'm a hired assassin. I carry a Tommy gun and a violin case. I run a string of cat houses in the valley. They call me Killer. Killer Wingfield. I'm leading a double life. A simple, honest warehouse worker by day. By night, a dynamic czar of the underworld, mother. My enemies plan to dynamite this place. They're gonna blow us up sky high some night. I'll be glad. Very happy. So will you. You'll go up. Up on a broomstick over Blue Mountain with your 17 gentlemen taller as you... Ugly, babbling old rich. My glass menagerie. I won't speak to you until you apologize. Where have you been all this time? I've been to the movies. All this time at the movies? That was a very long program. There was a Garbo picture and a Mickey Mouse and a travel log and a newsreel and a preview of coming attractions. 
and there was an organ solo and a collection for the milk fund simultaneously, which ended up in a terrible fight between the fat lady and an usher. Did you have to stay through everything? Of course. And, oh, I forgot. There was a big stage show. The headliner of this stage show was Malvolio the Magician. He performed wonderful tricks, many of them such as pouring water back and forth between pitchers. First it turned to wine, then it turned to beer, then it turned to whiskey. I knew it was whiskey it finally turned into because he needed somebody to come up out of the audience to help him. And I came up. Both shows. It was Kentucky Straight Bourbon. A very generous fellow. He gave souvenirs. He gave me this. This is his magic scarf. You can have it, Laura. You wave it over a canary cage and you get a bowl of goldfish. You wave it over a goldfish bowl and they fly away canaries. But the wonderfulest trick of all was the coffin trick. We nailed him into a coffin and he got out of the coffin without removing one nail. <laughs> there is a trick that would come in handy for me. Get me out of this two by four situation. Shush. What are you shushing me for? You wake up, mother. Goody, goody. Pay her back for all them rising times. You know, it don't take much intelligence to get yourself into a nailed up coffin, Laura. But who in hell ever got himself out of one without removing one nail? Speak to mother this morning. Make up with her. Apologize. Speak to her. She won't speak to me. It's her that started not speaking. If you just say you're sorry, she'll start speaking. Her not speaking. Is that such a tragedy? Please. Please. Laura, are you going to do what I ask you to do, or do I have to get dressed and go out myself? Going, going. As soon as I get on my coat. Uh, butter and what else? Oh, just butter. Now tell them to charge it. Oh, Mother, they make such faces when I do that. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but the expression on Mr. Garfinkel's face won't harm us. Oh, Laura, go now. Just don't go at all. I'm going, going. Laura! Uh, I'm all right. I slipped, but I'm all right. No one breaks a leg on those fire escape steps. The landlord ought to be sued for every cent he possesses. Mother, I... I apologize, Mother. I'm sorry for what I said. For everything that I said. I, I didn't mean it. Devotion has made me a witch. And so I make myself hateful to my children. No, you don't. 
I worry so much. Don't sleep. Makes me nervous. I understand that. I've had to put up a solitary battle all these years. But you're my right-hand power. Now, don't fall down. Don't fail. I try, Mother. Try, and you will succeed. Why, you... You're just full of natural endowments. Both my children, they're unusual children. Don't you, don't you think I know it? I'm so proud. I'm happy, and I, I feel I've so much to be thankful for. But you promised me one thing, son. What, Mother? Promise, son. You'll, you'll never be a drunkard. I will never be a drunkard, Mother. See, that's what frightened me so, that you'd be drinking. Here now, you eat a bowl of Purina. Just coffee, Mother. Oh, with shredded wheat biscuit. No, no, Mother, just coffee. Now, you can't put in a day's work on an empty stomach. You've got ten minutes. Don't gulp. Now, drinking two hot liquids makes cancer of the stomach. Here, put put some cream in. No, thank you. To, to cool it. No! No, thank you. I want it black. I, I know, but it's not good for you. We have to do all that we can to build ourselves up. In these trying times we live in, all that we have to cling to is each other. That's why it's so important, Tom. I, I sent out your sister so that I could discuss something with you. If you hadn't spoken, I would have spoken to you. What is it, Mother, that you want to discuss? Laura. Oh, Laura. Well, you know how Laura is. Just so quiet, but still waters run deep. She she notices things, and I think she she broods about them. A few days ago, I came in, and she was crying. What about? You. Me? She has an idea that you're not happy here. What gave her that idea? Well, what gives her any idea? However, you do act strangely. I, I, look, I'm not criticizing. Understand that. I know your ambitions do not lie in the warehouse. That, like everybody in the whole wide world, you've had to make sacrifices. But Tom, 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 life is not easy. It calls for Spartan endurance. There's, there's so many things in my heart that I cannot describe to you. I've never told you, but I, I loved your father. I know that, Mother. And you, when I see you taken after his ways, staying out late and... Well, you had been drinking the night you were in that terrifying condition. Laura says that you hate the apartment and that you go out nights to get away from it. Is that true, Tom? No. You say there's so much in your heart that you can't describe to me. That's true of me, too. There's so much in my heart that I can't describe to you. So let's respect each other's... But why, why, Tom, are you always so restless? Where do you go to at night? I go to the movies. Why do you go to the movies so much, Tom? I go to the movies because I like adventure. Adventure is something I don't have much of at work, so I go to the movies. But, Tom, you go to the movies entirely too much. I like a lot of adventure. Most young men find adventure in their careers. And most young men are not employed in a warehouse. Well, the world is full of young men employed in warehouses and offices and factories. Do all of them find adventures in their careers? Well, they do, or they do without it. Not everybody has a, 
a craze for adventure. Man is by instinct a lover, a hunter, a fighter, and none of those instincts are given much play at the warehouse. Man is by instinct? Don't quote instinct to me. Instinct is something that people have got away from. It belongs to animals. Christian adults don't want it. What do Christian adults want then, Mother? Superior things, things of the mind and the spirit. Only animals have to satisfy instincts. Surely your aims are somewhat higher than theirs, than monkeys and pigs. I reckon they're not. Oh, you're joking. However, that isn't what I wanted to discuss. I haven't much time. Yes, sit down, sit down. You want me to punch in red at the warehouse, Mother? You have five minutes. I want to talk about Laura. All right. What about Laura? We have to be making some plans and provisions for her. Now, she's older than you, two years, and nothing has happened. She just drifts along doing nothing. It frightens me terribly how she just drifts along. I guess she's the type that people call homegirls. There's no such type. And if there is, it's a pity. That is, unless the home is hers with a husband. What? Oh, I can see the handwriting on the wall. As plain as I see the nose in front of my face. It's terrifying. More and more, you remind me of your father. He was out all hours without explanation, and then he left. Goodbye. Left me with a bag to hold. See, I saw that letter you got from the Merchant Marine. I know what you're dreaming of. I'm not standing here blindfolded. Very well, then. Then do it. But not till there's somebody to take your place. What do you mean? I mean that as soon as Laura has got somebody to take care of her, married, a home of her own, independent, well, then you'll be free to go wherever you please, on land, on sea, whichever way the wind blows you. But until that time, you got to look after your sister. I don't say me because I'm old and don't matter. I say for your sister because she's young and dependent. I'll put her in business college. Hmm? Dismal failure. Frightened her so it made her sick at the stomach. I took her over to the Young People's League at the church. Another fiasco. She spoke to nobody. Nobody spoke to her. And now all she does is fool with those pieces of glass and play those worn-out records. What kind of a life is that for a girl to lead? What can I do about it? Overcome selfishness. Self, self, self. It's all you ever think of. Put your muffler on. Tom, I haven't said what I had in mind to ask you. I'm too late. Down at the warehouse. Oh, there's some nice young men. No. There must be some. Mother. Just find one that's clean living, doesn't drink. Ask him out for sister. What? For sister to meet. Get acquainted. Oh, my gosh. Yes, will you? Will you? Will you? Will you, will you, dear? Yes. Sam, will you do me a favor? What? 
Comb your hair. You look so pretty when your hair is combed. Well, there's only one respect in which I'd like you to emulate your father. What respect is that? The care he always took of his appearance. Never allowed himself to look untidy. Where are you going? I'm going out to smoke. Oh, you smoke too much. You know, a pack a day at 15 cents a pack? How much should that amount to in a month? 30 times 15 is how much, Tom. Figure it out and you'll be astounded at what you could save. Enough to give you a night school course in accounting in Washington U. Just think what a wonderful thing that'll be for you, son. I'd rather smoke. I know, that's the tragedy of it. Across the alley from us was the Paradise Dance Hall. On evenings in spring, the windows and doors were open and the music came outdoors. Sometimes the lights were turned out except for a large glass sphere that hung from the ceiling. It would turn slowly about and filter the dusk with delicate rainbow colors. Then the orchestra played a waltz or a tango, something that had a slow and sensuous rhythm. Couples would come outside to the relative privacy of the alley. You could see them kissing behind ash pits and telegraph poles. This was the compensation for lives that passed like mine, without any change or adventure. Adventure and change were imminent in this year. They were waiting around the corner for all these kids. Suspended in the mist over Berkta's garden, caught in the folds of Chamberlain's umbrella. In Spain, there was Guernica, but here there was only hot swing music and liquor. Dance halls, bars, and movies, and sex that hung in the gloom like a chandelier and flooded the world with brief, deceptive rainbows. All the world was waiting for bombardments. Ah, escape lands a poor excuse for a porch. What you looking at? The moon. Is there a moon this evening? It's rising over Garfinkel's delicatessen. So it is. Huh. Little silver slip of a moon. Have you made a wish on it yet? Mm-hmm. What you wish for? That's a secret. Oh, a secret, huh? Well, I won't tell mine either. I will be just as mysterious as you. I bet I can guess what yours is. Oh, is my head so transparent? You're not a sphinx. No, I don't have secrets. I'll tell you what I wish for on the moon. Success and happiness for my precious children. I wish for that whenever there's a moon. And when there isn't a moon, I wish for it too. <laughs> I thought perhaps you wished for a gentleman caller. Why'd you say that? Don't you remember asking me to fetch one? Oh, I remember suggesting that it would be nice for your sister if you brought some nice young man from the warehouse. I think that I've made that suggestion more than once. Yes, you have made it repeatedly. Well? We are going to have one. What? A gentleman caller. You mean you have asked some nice young man to come over? Yep. I've asked him for dinner. You really did? I did. You, you did? And... and... Did he accept? He did. Well, 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 that's lovely. I thought you would be pleased. It's definite then. Very definite. Soon, 
very soon. Oh, for heaven's sake, stop putting on and tell me some things, will ya? What things do you want me to tell you? Well, naturally, I want to know when he's coming. He's coming tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yep, oh, tomorrow. But Tom... Yes, mother? Tomorrow gives me no time. Time for what? Oh, preparations. Why didn't you phone me at once as soon as you asked him, the minute he accepted? Then, don't you say, I could have been getting ready. You don't have to make any fuss. Oh, Tom, 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 of course I have to make a fuss. I want things to be nice, not slopping up thrown together. Certainly have to do some fast thinking, won't I? I don't see why you have to think at all. Well, you just don't know. We can't have a gentleman caller in a pigsty. All my wedding silver has to be polished. The, the monogram table linen ought to be laundered. The windows have to be washed and, and fresh curtains put up. And see, how about clothes? You know, we, we have to, to wear something, don't we? Mother, this boy is no one to make a fuss of. Do you realize he is the first young man we've introduced to your sister? It's terrible. It's dreadful, disgraceful. That poor little sister has never received a single gentleman caller. Tom, Tom, come inside. What for? I want to... I want to ask you some things. If you're going to make such a fuss, I'll call it off. I'll tell him not to come. You certainly won't do anything of the kind. Nothing offends people worse than broken engagements. Simply means that I have to work like a took. We won't be brilliant, but we will pass inspection. Come inside. Uh. Sit down. Any particular place you would like me to sit? Well, thank heavens I got a new sofa. I'm also making payments on a floor lamp I'll have sent out and put the chintz covers on. They'll brighten things up. Oh, of course, I'd hope to have these walls repapered. What is this young man's name? His name is O'Connor. Oh, that, of course, means fish. Tomorrow is Friday. I'll have that salmon loaf with Durkey's dressing. What does he do? Hmm? He works at the warehouse? Of course. How else would I... Tommy doesn't drink. Why do you ask me that? Well, your father did. Don't get started on that. He does drink, then. Not that I know of. Now, make sure, be certain that the last thing I want for my daughter is a boy who drinks. Aren't you being a little bit premature? Mr. O'Connor has not yet appeared on the scene. Yeah, but we'll tomorrow to meet your sister. And what do I know about his character? Nothing. Old maids are better off than wives of drunkards. Oh, my God. Lots of fellows meet girls whom they don't marry. No. Talk sensibly, Tom, and don't be sarcastic. What are you doing? Brushing that cowlick down. Now, what is this young man's position at the warehouse? This young man's position is that of a shipping clerk, Mother. Sounds to me like a fairly responsible job. The sort of a job that you would be in if you just had more get-up. What is his salary? Have you any idea? I would judge it to be approximately $85 a month. Well, not princely, but... uh, 20 more than I make. Yes, how well I know. But for a family man, $85 a month is not much more than you can just get by on. Yes, but Mr. O'Connor is not a family man. He might be, mightn't he? Sometime in the future. I see. Plans and provisions. (laughs) You are the only young man that I know of who ignores the fact that the future becomes the present, the present, the past, and the past turns into everlasting regret if you don't plan for it. I will think that over and see what I can make of it. Don't be supercilious with your mother. Now, ah, tell me some more about this. um, What did you call him? James D. O'Connor. The D is for Delaney. Irish on both sides, gracious. 
And he doesn't drink? Shall I call him up and ask him right this minute? <laughs> no. The only way to find out about those things is to make discreet inquiries at the proper moment. When I was a girl in Blue Mountain, and it was well suspected that a young man drank, the girl whose attentions he had been receiving, if any girl was, would, would sometimes speak to the minister of his church, or, or rather her father would if her father was living, and sort of feel him out on the young man's character. That is the way such things are discreetly handled to keep a young woman from making a tragic mistake. And how did you happen to make a tragic mistake? Oh, the innocent look of your father had everyone fooled. His smile and the world was enchanted. No girl can do worse than put herself at the mercy of a handsome appearance. I hope that Mr. O'Connor's not too good looking. No, he's not too good looking. Huh. He's covered with freckles and hasn't too much of a nose. He's not right down homely, though. Not right down homely. Just medium homely, I'd say. Characters what to look for in a man. That's what I've always said, Mother. You've never said anything of the kind, and I suspect you would never give it a thought. Don't be so suspicious of me. At least, I hope he's a type that's up and coming. I think he really goes in for self-improvement. What reason have you to think so? He goes to night school. Splendid. What does he do? I mean, I mean study. Radio engineering and public speaking. Wow, then he has visions of being advanced in the world. Any young man who studies public speaking is aiming to have an executive job someday. And radio engineering, a thing for the future. Both of these facts are very illuminating. Those are the sort of things that a mother should know concerning any young man who comes to call on her daughter, seriously or not. One little warning, he doesn't know about Laura. I didn't let on that we had dark ulterior motives. I just said, why don't you come over and have dinner with us? He said, okay, and that was the whole conversation. I bet it was. You're eloquent as an oyster. However, he'll know about Laura when he gets here, when he sees how lovely and sweet and pretty she is. He'll thank his lucky stars he was asked to dinner. Mother, you mustn't expect too much of Laura. What do you mean? Laura seems all of those things to you and me because she's ours and we love her. We don't even notice she's crippled anymore. <gasps> don't say crippled. You know that I never allow that word to be used. But face facts, Mother. She is, and that's not all. <sighs> what do you mean, not all? Laura, Laura is very different from other girls. I think the difference is all to her advantage. Not quite all. In the eyes of others, strangers... She's terribly shy and lives in a world of her own, and those things make her seem a little peculiar to people outside the house. Don't say peculiar. Face the facts. She is. In what way is she peculiar, may I ask? She lives in a world of her own. A world of little class ornaments, Mother. She plays old phonograph records, and that's about all. Where are you going? I'm going to the movies. Oh, not to the movies. Every night to the movies. Oh, I don't believe you always go to the movies. Laura? Laura? Yes, Mother? Let those dishes go. Come in front. Laura, come here. 
Make a wish on the moon. Moon? Moon? A little silver slipper of a moon. Now, you look over your left shoulder, Laura, and make a wish. Now, now, darling, wish. What shall I wish for, Mother? Happiness. Good fortune. And so the following evening, I brought Jim home to dinner. I had known Jim slightly in high school. In high school, Jim was a hero. He seemed to move in a continual spotlight. He was a star in basketball, captain of the debating club, president of the senior class and the glee club, and he sung the male lead in the annual light operas. Oh, blow ye winds, hi ho, oh, roving I will go. I'm off to my love with a boxing glove, 10,000 miles away. He was always running or bounding, never just walking. He seemed always at the point of defeating the law of gravity. He was shooting with such velocity through his adolescence that you would logically expect him to arrive at nothing short of the White House by the time he was 30. But Jim apparently ran into more interference after his graduation from Soldan. His speed had definitely slowed. Six years after he left high school, he was holding a job that wasn't much better than mine. He was the only one at the warehouse with whom I was on friendly terms. I was valuable to him as someone who could remember his former glory, who had seen him win basketball games and the Silver Cup in debating. He knew of my secret practice of retiring to a cabinet in the washrooms to work on poems when business was slack in the warehouse. He called me Shakespeare. And while the other boys in the warehouse regarded me with suspicious hostility, Jim took a humorous attitude toward me. Gradually, his attitude affected the others, their hostility wore off, and they also began to smile at me, as people smile at an oddly fashioned dog who trots across their path at some distance. I knew that Jim and Laura had known each other at Soldan, and I had heard Laura speak admiringly of his voice. I didn't know if Jim remembered her or not. In high school, Laura had been as unobtrusive as Jim had been astonishing. If he did remember Laura, it was not as my sister. For when I asked him to dinner, he grinned and said, You know, Shakespeare, I never thought of you as having folks. He was about to discover that I did. Why are you trembling? Oh, Mother, you've made me so nervous. Have I made you nervous? By all this fuss, you make it seem so important. I don't understand you, Laura. You can be satisfied with just sitting at home, and yet whenever I try to arrange something for you, you seem to resist it. Oh. Now, you take a look at yourself. Oh, no, wait. Wait just a moment. I have an idea. What is it now? Mother, what are you doing? They call them gay deceivers. No, I won't wear them. You will. Why should I? Because, to be painfully honest, your chest is flat. You make it seem like we were setting a trap. Oh, pretty girls are a trap. A pretty trap, and men expect them to be. Now, look at yourself, young lady. This is the prettiest you will ever be. I've got to go fix myself now. Oh, you're going to be surprised by your mother's appearance. Oh, it isn't dark enough yet. Now I'm going to show you something. 
I'm gonna make a spectacular appearance. What is it, Mother? Now you possess your soul in patience, you will see. Something I've resurrected from that old trunk. Our styles haven't changed so terribly much after all. Now look at your mother. This is the dress in which I led the cotillion. Won the cake ward twice at Sunset Hill. Wore one spring to the governor's ball in Jackson. See how I sashayed around the ballroom, Laura. <laughs> now, I wore it on Sundays for my gentleman callers. I had it on the day I met your father. I had malaria fever all that spring. Change of climate from East Tennessee to, to the Delta. Weakened resistance. Had a little temperature all the time. Now, not enough to be serious, just enough to make me restless and giddy. Invitations poured in. Parties all over the Delta. Now, you stay in bed, said Mother. You have a fever. But I just wouldn't. I took quinine, but I kept on going, going. Evenings, dances, afternoons, long, long rides, picnics. Oh, lovely. So lovely. That country in May, all lacy with dogwood, literally flooded with jonquils. That was the spring I had to craze for jonquils. Jonquils became an absolute obsession. Mother said, honey, honey, there is no more room for jonquils. And I still kept on bringing in more jonquils. Whenever, wherever I saw them, I'd say, stop, stop, I, I see jonquils. I made the young men help me gather the jonquils. <laughs> it was a joke, Amanda and her jonquils. Finally, there was no more vases to hold them. Every available space was filled with jonquils. No vases to hold them? All right, I'll hold them myself. And then I met your father, malaria fever and jonquils, and then this boy. Well, I hope they get here before it starts to rain. I gave your brother a little extra change, so... He and Mr. O'Connor could take the service call home. What did you say his name was? O'Connor. What is his first name? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, yes, I do. It was uh, Jim. Not Jim. Yes, that's what it was. It was Jim. <laughs> I've never known a Jim that wasn't nice. Are you sure his name is Jim O'Connor? Yes. Why? Is he the one that Tom used to know in high school? Well, he didn't say so. I think he just got to know him at the warehouse. There was a Jim O'Connor we both knew in high school? Mm-hmm. If that is the one that Tom is bringing to dinner, you'll have to excuse me. I won't come to the table. What sort of nonsense is this? You asked me once if I'd ever liked a boy. Don't you remember I showed you this boy's picture? Wait, you mean the boy you showed me in the yearbook? Yes, that boy. Laura, Laura, were you in love with that boy? I don't know, Mother. All I know is I couldn't sit at the table if it was him. It won't be him. It isn't the least bit likely. 
part, whether it is or not, you will come to the table. You will not be excused. I'll have to be, Mother. I don't intend to humor your silliness, Laura. I've had too much from you and your brother both. So just sit down and compose yourself till they come. Now, Tom has forgotten his key, so you'll have to let him in when they arrive. Oh, Mother, you answer the door. Oh, I'll be in the kitchen busy. Oh, Mother, please answer the door. Don't make me do it. I've got to fix the dressing for the salmon. First, first, for a silliness over a, a gentleman caller. Please, you go. You'll have to go to the door because I can't. I can't either. Why? I'm sick. I'm sick too of your nonsense. Why can't you and your brother be normal people? Fantastic whims and behavior. Preposterous goings on. Now, can you give me one? Come in, come in just one second. Why? You should be afraid to open a door. Now, you answer it, Laura. Now, Laura Winfield, you march right to that door. Yes. Yes, Mother. Laura, this is Jim. Uh, Jim, this is my sister, Laura. I didn't know that Shakespeare had a sister. How... how do you do? Okay. Well, your hand's cold, Laura. Yes, well... I've been playing the Victrola. Must have been playing classical music on it. You ought to play a little hot swing music to warm you up. Excuse me? I haven't finished playing the Victrola. What was the matter? Oh, but Laura... Laura is terribly shy. Shy, huh? It's unusual to meet a shy girl nowadays. I don't believe you ever mentioned that you had a sister. Well, now you know I have one. Where are you going? I'm going out on the terrace. Uh, You know, Shakespeare, I'm going to sell you a bill of goods. What goods? A course I'm taking. Oh. In public speaking. You and me, we're not the warehouse type. Thanks. That's good news. But what has public speaking got to do with it? Well, it fits you for executive positions. Oh. I'll tell you, it's done a hell of a lot for me. In what respect? In every. Ask yourself, what's the difference between you and me and the men in the office down front? Brains? No. Ability? No. Then what? Just one little thing. What is that one little thing? Primarily, it amounts to social poise. <sighs> Being able to square up the people and hold your own on any social level. Tom? Yes, Mother? Is that you and Mr. O'Connor? Yes, Mother. Well, you just make yourself comfortable out there. Yes, Mother. Mr. O'Connor, like to wash his hands. Oh, no. No, thank you. I took care of that at the warehouse. Tom? Yes? Mr. Mendoza was speaking to me about you. Favorably. What do you think? Well, You're I, gonna be out of the job if you don't wake up. I am waking up. You show no I, signs. The signs are interior. I'm planning to change. I'm right at the point of committing myself to a future that doesn't include the warehouse and Mr. Mendoza. 
or even a night school course in public speaking. What are you gassing about? I'm tired of the movies. Movies? Yes, movies. Look at them. All those glamorous people having adventures, hogging it all, gobbling the whole thing up. You know what happens? People go to the movies instead of moving. Hollywood characters are supposed to have all the adventures for everybody in America, while everybody in America sits in a dark room and watches them have them. Yes, until there's a war. That's when adventure becomes available to the masses. Everybody's dish, not all the gables. <laughs> then the people in the dark room come out of the dark room to have some adventures themselves. Good, goody. It's our turn now to go to the South Sea Island, to make a safari, to be exotic, far off. But I'm not patient. I don't want to wait till then. I'm tired of the movies, and I'm about to move. Move? Yes. When? Soon. Where? Where? I'm starting to boil inside. I know I seem dreamy, but inside, well, I'm boiling. Whenever I pick up a shoe, I shudder a little, thinking how short life is and what I am doing. Whatever that means. I know it doesn't mean shoes. Except there's something to wear on a traveler's feet. Look. What? I'm a member. The Union of Merchant Seamen? I paid my dues this month instead of the light bill. <laughs> You'll regret it when they turn the lights off. I won't be here. How about your mother? I'm like my father. The bastard son of a bastard. See how he grins on the wall in there? And he's been absent going on 16 years. <laughs> You're just talking to drip. How does your mother feel about it? Shh. Here comes mother. Mother is not acquainted with my plans. Where are you all? On the terrace, mother. Oh. Well, 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 well. So, this is Mr. O'Connor. Now, introductions entirely unnecessary. I've heard so much about you from my boy. I find the Satan Tom good gracious. Why don't you bring this paragon to supper? <laughs> Oh, well, I like to meet this nice young man at the warehouse instead of just hearing him sing your praises so much. I don't know why my son is so standoffish. That's no southern behavior. Let's sit down and, um... Oh, yeah, I think we can stand a little more air in here. Tom, will you, will you leave the door open? I felt a nice fresh breeze a moment ago. Where's it gone to? Hmm, so warm already, not quite summer even. Mm. We're gonna burn up when summer really gets started. Here, sit down now. Oh, thank you. However, we're having we're having a very light supper. See, I think that light things are better for this time of year. Same as light clothes are. Light clothes and light food are what warm weather calls for. You know, our blood gets so thick during the winter, it takes a while for us to adjust ourselves when the season changes. <laughs> it's come so quick this year, I wasn't prepared. All of a sudden, heavens, already summer. <laughs> I ran to the trunk and pulled out this little light dress. It's terribly old, historical almost, but it feels so good, so good and cool, you Mother. know. Mother. Yes, honey? How about supper? Well, honey, go ask sister if supper is ready. You know the sister's in full charge of supper. I'll tell her you hungry boys are waiting for it. Have you met Laura? Oh, uh, no. she... Let you in. Oh, good. Well, you met already. It's rare for a girl as sweet and pretty as Laura to be domestic. Oh. But Laura is, thank heaven, not only pretty, but also very domestic. Now, I'm not at all. I never was a bit. I never could make a thing but angel food cake. Well... <laughs> well, in the South, we had so many servants. Gone, gone, gone. All vestige of gracious living gone completely. 
I wasn't prepared for what the future brought me. All my gentlemen call us the sons of planters, and so, of course, I assumed that I'd be married to one and raise my family on a large piece of land with plenty of servants. <laughs> but man proposes and woman accepts the proposal. You vary that old, old saying a little bit. I married no planner. I married a man who worked for the telephone company. That gallantly smiling gentleman over there. Yeah. A telephone man who fell in love with long distance. Now he travels and I don't know where. But what am I going on about my tribulations? Tell me yours. I hope you don't have any. Mine, Tom, boy. Tom. Yes, uh, This supper nearly ready. It looks to me like supper is on the table. Oh, well. Oh, let me look there. Oh. oh, lovely. Where's sister? Laura's not feeling well. She says she thinks she better not come to the table. What? Oh, nonsense. Oh, Laura! Oh, Laura! Yes, Mother? You really must come to the table. We won't be seated until you come to the table. See, come in, come in, Mr. O'Connor. Thank you, ma'am. Now, uh, you sit over there, and I'll, uh... Laura? Laura Wingfield, y'all keeping us waiting, honey. We can't say grace until you come to the table. Over the stove made her ill, Mr. O'Connor. Here, see it. I told her that it, it was just too warm this evening, but. Oh. Is Laura all right now, Tom? Yes. What is that? Rain? Oh, a nice cool, nice cool rain has come up. I think we may have uh, Grace now. Tom, honey, you say Grace. Uh, for these and all thy mercies, God's holy name be praised. Amen. Amen. Half an hour later, dinner is just being finished. Laura is still huddled on the sofa in the other room, her feet drawn under her, her eyes wide and watchful. There is a steady murmur of rain, but it is slackening and soon stops. The air outside becomes pale and luminous as the moon breaks out. The lights in both rooms flicker, then go out. Hello there, Mr. Lightbulb. Uh, uh, where was Moses when the lights went out? Do you know the answer to that one, Mr. O'Connor? No, ma'am. What's the answer? In the dark. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, everybody sit still while I light the candles. Well, isn't it lucky we have them on the table? So where's a match? Which of you gentlemen can provide a match? Here. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. Not at all, ma'am. Well, I guess the fuse is burned out. <clears throat> Mr. O'Connor, can you tell a burnt-out fuse? I know that I can, and Tom is a total loss when it comes to mechanics. <sighs> oh, now, 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 you, you, uh, you be careful. Don't you bump into something. We don't want our gentleman caller to break his neck. 
Now, wouldn't that be a fine how-to-do? Oh. Where's the fuse box? Oh, it's right here next to the stove. Can, can you see anything? Just a minute. This would be a mysterious thing. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin who tied a key to a kite? Now, we live in such a mysterious universe, don't we? Some people say that science clears up all the mysteries for us, but in my opinion, it only creates more. Have you found it yet? No, ma'am. All the fuses look okay to me. Tom. Yes, Mother? That light bill I gave you several days ago, the one I told you we got the notices about... Oh, yeah. You didn't neglect to pay it by any chance. Why, I... You didn't. I might have known it. Shakespeare probably wrote a poem on the light bill in the winter. I might have known better than to trust him with it. There's such a high price for negligence in this world. Maybe the poem will win a $10 prize. <laughs> well, we'll just have to spend the remainder of the evening in the 19th century before Mr. Addison made the Mazda lamp. <laughs> <laughs> Candlelight is my favorite kind of light. Well, that shows you romantic. But that's no excuse for Tom. Well, we uh, we got through dinner. Very considerate of them to let us get through dinner before they plunged us into everlasting darkness, wasn't it, Mr. O'Connor? <laughs> <laughs> now, Tom, as a penalty for your carelessness, you can help me with the dishes. Let me give you a hand. No, no, indeed you will not. I ought to be good for something. Good for something? You? Well, Mr. O'Connor... Nobody, nobody's given me this much entertainment in years as you have. Oh, now, Mrs. Winkfield. No, I'm not exaggerating, not one bit. But, sister, it's all by her lonesome. Now, you go keep her company in the parlor. I'll, I'll give you this lovely old candelabrum that used to be on the altar of the Church of the Heavenly Rest. Now, it was melted a little out of shape when the church burnt down. Lightning struck it one spring. Gypsy Jones was holding a revival at the time, and he intimated that the church was destroyed because the Episcopalians gave car parties. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how about you coax and sister to drink a little wine? I think it'd be good for her. Can you carry both at once? Sure. I'm Superman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, Thomas, get into this apron. Hello there, Laura. Hello. How are you feeling now? Better? Yes. Yes, thank you. This is for you. A little dandelion wine. Oh, thank you. Drink it, but don't get drunk. Oh. Where shall I set the candles? Oh, oh, anywhere. How about on the floor? Any objections? No. I'll spread a newspaper under the cache of drippings. I like to sit on the floor. Mind if I do? Oh, no. Give me a pillow? What? A pillow. Oh. How about you? Don't you like to sit on the floor? Oh, uh, yes. Why don't you then? I... Will. Take a pillow. Uh, I can't hardly see you sitting way over there. I can see you. I know, but that's not fair. I'm in the limelight. Good. Now I can see you. Comfortable? Uh, yes. So am I. Comfortable as a cow. Will you have some gum? Uh, no, thank you. I think that I will indulge, with your permission. Mm -hmm. Think of the fortune made by the guy that invented the first piece of chewing gum. 
Amazing, huh? The Wrigley Building is one of the sights of Chicago. I saw it summer before last when I went up to the Century of Progress. Did you take in the Century of Progress? No, I didn't. Well, it was quite a wonderful exposition. What impressed me most was the Hall of Science. Gives you an idea of what the future will be in America, even more wonderful than the present time. Uh, Your brother tells me you're shy. Is that right, Laura? I, uh don't know. I judge you to be an old-fashioned type of girl. Well, I think that's a pretty good type to be. I hope you don't think I'm being too personal, do you? I believe I will take a piece of gum oh. if you uh, don't mind. <clears throat> Mr. O'Connor, have you kept up with your singing? Singing? Me? Yes, I, I remember what a beautiful voice you had. You say you've heard me sing? Oh, yes. Yes, very often. I don't suppose you remember me at all. You know, I have an idea I've seen you before. I had that idea as soon as you opened the door. It seemed almost like I was about to remember your name, but the name I started to call you wasn't a name, and so I stopped myself before I said it. Oh, wasn't it Blue Roses? Blue Rose? My gosh, yes. Blue Roses. Yeah. That's what I had in my tongue when you opened the door. Isn't it funny what tricks your memory plays? I didn't connect you with high school somehow or other. But that's, that's where it was. It was high school. I didn't even know you were Shakespeare's sister. Gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't expect you to. You barely knew me. But we did have a speaking acquaintance, huh? Yes, we spoke to each other. When did you recognize me? Oh, Right away. As soon as I came in the door? When I heard your name, I thought it was probably you. I knew that Tom used to know you a little in high school, so when you came in the door, well, then I was <laughs> sure. Why didn't you say something then? I didn't know what to say. I was too surprised. For goodness sakes. <laughs> you know, this sure is funny. Yes. Yes, isn't it, though? Didn't we have a class and something together? Yes, we did. What class was that? It was... Singing? Chorus? Oh. I sat across the aisle from you in the odd. Oh. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Now I remember. You uh, always came in late. Yes, it was so hard for me getting upstairs. I had that brace on my leg. It, it clumped so loud. I never heard any clumping. To me, it sounded like thunder. Well, well... Well, I never even noticed. And everybody was seated before I came in. I had to walk in front of all those people. My seat was in the back row. I, I had to go clumping all the way up the aisle with everyone watching. You shouldn't have been self-conscious. I know, but I was. It was always such a relief when the singing started. Oh, yes! <laughs> I've placed you now. I used to call you Blue Roses. Mm. <laughs> How was it that I got started calling you that? I was out of school a little while with pleurosis. Uh -huh. And when I came back, you asked me what was the matter. I, I said I had pleurosis, and you thought I said blue roses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you always called me after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I hope you didn't mind. Oh, no, I liked it. You see, I wasn't acquainted with many people. As I remember, you sort of stuck by yourself. I... I uh, never have had much luck at making friends. I don't see why you wouldn't. Well, I started out badly. You mean being... Yeah, yes, it sort of stood between me... You shouldn't have let it. I know, but I, it did, and 
You were shy with people? I tried not to be, but never could. Overcome it? No, I... I never could. I guess being shy is something you have to work out of kind of gradually. Yes, I guess it... Uh... Takes time? Yes. <laughs> people are not so dreadful when you know them. That's what you have to remember, and everybody has problems. Not just you, but practically everybody has got some problems. You think of yourself as having the only problems, as being the only one who's disappointed, but just look around you, and you will see lots of people as disappointed as you are. For instance, I hoped when I was going to high school that I would be further along at this time, six years later, than I am now. Do you remember that wonderful write-up I had in the torch? Yes, uh, let, let me just... It said... I was bound to succeed in anything I went into. <laughs> Holy jeez, the torch? Here you are in the Pirates of Penzance. I sang the baritone lead. So beautifully. Oh. Yes, yes, beautifully, beautifully. You heard me? All three times. No. Yes. All three performances? <laughs> yes. Why? I um, wanted to ask you to uh, autograph my program. Why didn't you ask me to? You were always surrounded by your own friends so much, I never had a chance to. You should have just... Well, I, I thought you might think I was... Thought I might think you was what? Oh, uh... I was beleaguered by females uh, in those days. You were terribly popular. Yeah. You had such a friendly way... I uh, was spoiled in high school. Everybody liked you. Including you? I, uh... Yes, I, uh... I did, too. Well, 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 give me that program, Laura. There you are. Better late than never. Oh, I, what a surprise. My signature isn't worth very much right now, but someday, maybe, it will increase in value. Being disappointed is one thing, and being discouraged is something else. I am disappointed, but I am not discouraged. I'm 23 years old. How old are you? I'll be 24 in June. Well, that's not old age. No, but... You finished uh, high school? I didn't go back. You mean you dropped out? I made bad grades in my final examinations. Let me just put this back. How is Emily Meisenbach getting along? Oh, that krauthead? Why do you call her that? That's what she was. You're not still going with her? I never see her. It said in the personal section that you were engaged. I know, but I wasn't impressed by that propaganda. It wasn't the truth? Only in Emily's optimistic opinion. Oh. What have you done since high school? Nothing much. You must have done something these six long years. Yes. Well then, such as what? I took a business course at business college. Well, how did that work out? Well, not very well. I had to drop out. It gave me indigestion. Oh. <laughs> what are you doing now? I don't do anything much. Oh, please don't think I sit around doing nothing... My glass collection takes up a good deal of time. Glass is something you have to take good care of. What did you say? Uh, about glass? Collection, I said. 
I have one. You know what I judge to be the trouble with you? Uh, Inferiority complex. You know what that is? Uh, That's what they call it when someone low weights himself. I understand it because I had it too. Although my case was not so aggravated as yours seemed to be. Uh, I had it until I took up public speaking, developed my voice, and learned that I had an aptitude for science. Before that time, I never thought of myself as being outstanding in any way whatsoever. Now... I've never made a regular study of it, but I have a friend who says I can analyze people better than doctors that make a profession of it. I don't claim that to be necessarily true, but I can sure guess a person's psychology, Laura. Yeah? That's what I judge to be your principal trouble. A lack of confidence in yourself as a person. You don't have a proper amount of faith in yourself. I'm basing that fact on the number of your remarks and also certain observations I've made. For instance, that clumping you thought was so awful in high school, you say you even dreaded to walk into class. You see what you did? You dropped out of school. You gave up an education because of a clump, which, as far as I know, was practically non-existent. A little physical defect is what you have, hardly noticeable even, magnified thousands of times by imagination. Do you know what my strong advice to you is? Think of yourself as superior in some way. In what way would I think? Why, man alive, Laura, just look about you a little. What do you see? A world full of common people, all of them born and all of them going to die. Which of them has one-tenth of your good points? Or mine? Or anyone else's as far as that goes? Gosh, everybody excels in some one thing. Some in many. All you've got to do is discover what. Take me, for instance. My interest happens to lie in electrodynamics. I'm taking a course in radio engineering at night school, Laura, on top of a fairly responsible job at the warehouse. I'm taking that course and studying public speaking. Oh. Because I believe in the future of television. I wish to be ready to go up right along with it. Therefore, I'm planning to get in on the ground floor. In fact, I've already made the right connections, and all that remains is for the industry to get on the way. Full steam. Knowledge, zip. Money, zip. Power. That's the cycle democracy is built on. Oh. I guess you think I think a lot of myself. No. Now, how about you? Isn't there something you take more interest in than anything else? Well, I do. As I said, I have my glass collection. I'm not right sure I know what you're talking about. What kind of glass is it? Uh, Little articles of it. They're uh, ornaments, mostly. Most of them are are little animals made out of glass tiniest little animals in the world. Mother calls them a glass menagerie. Here's an example of one. If you'd like to see it, it, this is one of the oldest. It's nearly 13. Oh, be careful. If you breathe, it breaks. (laughs) I'd better not take it. I'm pretty clumsy with things. Go on. I, I trust you with him. There now. You're holding him gently. Hold him over the light. He loves the light. You see how the light shines through him? It sure does shine. I shouldn't be partial, but he's my favorite one. What kind of thing is this one supposed to be? Haven't you noticed the single horn on his forehead? A unicorn, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The unicorns. Well, aren't they extinct in the modern world? I know. Poor little fellow. You must feel sort of lonesome. Well, if he does, he doesn't complain about it. He stays on a shelf with some horses that don't have horns, and and all of them seem to get along nicely together. Well, how do you know? 
I haven't heard any arguments among them. <laughs> no arguments, huh? Well, that's a pretty good sign. Where shall I set him? Oh, put him on the table. They all like a change of scenery once in a while. <laughs> well. Well, well, well. Oh, look how big my shadow is when I stretch. Oh, oh yes, it, it stretches across the ceiling. I think it stopped raining. Where does the music come from? Uh, from the Paradise Dance Hall, across the alley. How about cutting the rug a little, Miss Wingfield? Oh, Or I... is your program filled up? Let me have a look at it. Why, every dance is taken. I'll just have to scratch one out. Oh, a waltz. I uh, can't dance. There you go again, that inferiority stuff. Well, I've never danced in my life. Come on, try. Oh, but I'd step on you. I'm not made out of glass. How, how, how do we start? Just leave it to me. Uh, uh, you oh. hold your arms out a little. Uh, like this? A little bit higher. Right. Now, don't tighten up. Mm. That's the main thing about it. Relax. It's hard not to. Okay. Uh, I'm afraid you can't budge me. Oh, what do you bet I can? Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, huh. Yes, you can. Let yourself go now, Laura. Just let yourself go. I'm Come trying. On. <laughs> not so stiff. Uh, Easy does it. I know, but I'm... Uh, uh, loosen the backbone. There, now. That's lots better. Uh, am I? <laughs> lots, lots better. Oh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, what did we hit on? Table. Did something fall off? I think I. Uh, yes. Oh. 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 Oh, is it broken? Oh. Now it's just like all the other horses. It's lost its horn. It. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's a, a blessing in disguise. You'll never forgive me. Mm. I bet that that was your favorite piece of glass. I don't have favorites much. It It's no tragedy. Oh, glass breaks so easily. No matter how careful you are, the, the traffic jars, the shells, and things fall off them. Still, I'm awfully sorry that I was the cause. I'll just imagine he had an operation. The horn was removed to make him feel less... Freakish. Now he will feel more at home with the other horses. The ones that don't have horns. <laughs> That's very funny. I'm glad to see that you have a sense of humor. Hmm. You know, you're, well, very different. Surprisingly different from anyone else I know. Do you mind me telling you that? I mean it in a nice way. Uh. You make me feel sort of... I don't know how to put it. Uh, I'm usually pretty good at expressing these things, but this is something that I don't know how to say. Has anyone ever told you that you were pretty? Well, you are, in a very different way from anyone else, and all the nicer because of the difference, too. I, I wish that you were my sister. I'd teach you how to have some confidence in yourself. The different people, not like other people, being different is nothing to be ashamed of. Because other people are not such wonderful people. They're 100 times 1,000. You're 1 times 1. They walk all over the earth. You just stay here. They're common as weeds. But you, 
Well, you're... You're blue roses. But blue is wrong for roses. It's right for you. You're pretty. In what respect am I pretty? In all respects. Believe me, your eyes, your oh. hair are pretty. Your hands are pretty. You think I'm making this up because I'm invited to dinner and have to be nice. Oh, I could do that. I could put on an act for you, Laura, and say lots of things without being very sincere. But this time, I am. I'm talking to you sincerely. I happen to notice you had this inferiority complex that keeps you from feeling comfortable with people. Somebody needs to build your confidence up and make you proud instead of shy and turning away and blushing. Somebody ought to... ought to kiss you, Laura. Stumble John. Stumble John, I shouldn't have done that. That was way off beam. Oh. Um. You don't smoke, do you? Uh. Would you uh, care for a mint, peppermint, lifesaver? My pocket's a regular drugstore. Wherever I go, I. Oh. Laura, you know, if I had a sister like you, I'd do the same thing as Tom. I, I'd bring out fellows and introduce her to them. The right type of boys. Boys of a type to appreciate her. Only, well, huh, he made a mistake about me. Maybe I've got no call to be saying this. That may not have been the idea in having me over. But what if it was? There's nothing wrong about that. The only trouble is that in my case, I'm not in a situation to do the right thing. I can't take down your number and say I'll phone. I, I can't call up next week and ask for a date. I thought I'd better explain the situation in case you misunderstood it and hurt your feelings. You won't call again? No, Laura. I, I, I can't. As I was just explaining, I've got strings on me, Laura. I've been going steady. I go out all the time with a girl named Betty. She's a home girl, like you, and a Catholic and Irish, and in a great many ways, we get along fine. I met her last summer on a moonlight boat trip up the river to Alton on the Majestic. Well, right away from the start, it was love. Being in love has made a new man of me. The power of love is really pretty tremendous. Love is something that changes the whole world, Laura. It happened that Betty's aunt took sick. She got a wire and had to go up to Centralia. So Tom, when he asked me to dinner, I naturally just accepted the invitation, not knowing that you, that he, that, that, that I... Oh, I'm a stumble jaw. I wish that you would... say something. Open your hand. What are you doing that for? You, you want Here. me... You want me to have him? Laura, what for? A souvenir. Ooh. Well, well, well. Isn't that here delightful after the shower? Now, I've made you children a little liquid refreshment. Jim, do you know that song, Lemonade, Lemonade, made in the shade, stirred with a spade, good enough for any old maid? <laughs> no, I've never heard it. Well, 
Laura, you look so serious. We were having a serious conversation. Oh, good. Now you're better acquainted. Uh, yes. Oh, you modern young people are much more serious-minded than my generation. I was so gay as a girl. You haven't changed, Mrs. Wingfield. Well, tonight, I'm rejuvenated. The gay to the occasion, Mr. O'Connor. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm baptizing myself. Here, with me. <laughs> no, no. There now. Ah. Oh. I discovered we had some maraschino cherries. I dumped them in juice and all. You shouldn't have gone to that trouble, Mrs. Wingfield. Trouble? Trouble? Well, it was loads of fun. Didn't you hear me cutting up in the kitchen? I bet your ears were burning. I told Tom how outdone with him I was for keeping you to himself so long a time. We should have brought you over much, much sooner. Well, now you found your way, I want you to be a very frequent caller. Not just occasional, but all the time. Oh, we're going to have a lot of gay times together. I see him coming. Oh, just breathe that air. So fresh and... Oh, the moon's so pretty. Well, I'll skip back out. Oh, I know uh, where my place is when young folks are having a serious conversation. Oh, don't go out, Mrs. Wingfield. The fact of the matter is I've got to be going. Going now? Oh, you joking. Well, it's only the shank of the evening, Mr. O'Connor. Well, you know how it is. Oh, you mean you're a young working man and you have to keep working men's hours? Well, we'll let you off early tonight, but only on the condition that next time you stay later. What's the best night for you? Isn't Saturday night the best night for working men? I have a couple of time clocks to punch, Mrs. Wingfield. Uh, one at the morning, another one at night. My, but you are ambitious. You work at night, too? Oh, no, ma'am. Not work, but Betty. Betty? Betty? Oh. Who's Betty? Oh, just a girl. The girl I go steady with. Oh. Is it a, a serious romance, Mr. O'Connor? We're going to be married a second Sunday in June. Oh. How nice. Tom didn't mention that you were engaged to be married. The cat's not out of the bag at the warehouse yet. You know how they are. They call you Romeo and stuff like that. It's been a wonderful evening, Mrs. Wingfield. I guess this is what they mean by Southern hospitality. Oh, it really wasn't anything at all. I hope it doesn't seem like I'm rushing off, but I promised Betty I'd pick her up at the Wabash Depot, and by the time I get my jalopy down there, her train will be in. Some women are pretty upset if you keep them waiting. Yes, I know. The tyranny of women. Well, goodbye, Mr. O'Connor. I wish you luck and happiness and success. All three of them, and uh, uh, so does Laura. Don't you, Laura? Yes. Goodbye, Laura. I'm certainly going to treasure that souvenir. And don't you forget the good advice I gave you. So long, Shakespeare! Thanks again, ladies. Good night. These have a way of turning out so badly. Well, well, well. Our gentleman caller was engaged to be married. Tom? Yes, mother? Come in here a minute. I want 
I tell you something awfully funny. Has the gentleman caller gotten away already? The gentleman caller has made an early departure. What a wonderful joke you played on us. How do you mean? You didn't mention that he was engaged to be married. Jim? Engaged? That's what he just informed us. I'll be jiggered. I didn't know about that. That seems very peculiar. What's peculiar about it? Well, didn't you call him your, your best friend down at the warehouse? He is, but how would I know? Seems extremely peculiar that you wouldn't know your best friend was going to be married. The warehouse is where I work, not where I know things about people. Well, you don't know things anywhere. You live in a dream. You manufacture illusions. Where are you going? I'm going to the movies. Oh, that's right. Now that you've had us make such fools of ourselves, the, the effort, the preparations, all the expense, the, the new floor lamp, the, the rugs, the, the clothes for Laura, all, all for what? Huh? To entertain some other girl's fiancé. Will you go to the movies? Go. Don't think about us. Mother deserted. An unmarried sister who's crippled, doesn't have a job. Don't let anything interfere with your selfish pleasure. Just go. Just go. Go. Go to the movies. All right, I will. The more you shout about my selfishness to me, the quicker I'll go. And I won't go to the movies. Go then. Then go to the moon, you selfish dreamer. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. For time is the longest distance between two places. Not long after that, I was fired for writing a poem on the lid of a shoebox. I left St. Louis. I descended the steps of this fire escape for a last time and followed from then on in my father's footsteps, attempting to find in motion what was lost in space. I traveled around a great deal. The city swept about me like dead leaves, leaves that were brightly colored but torn away from the branches. I would have stopped, but I was pursued by something. It always came upon me unawares, taking me altogether by surprise. Perhaps it was a familiar bit of music. Perhaps it was only a piece of transparent glass. Perhaps I'm walking along a street at night in some strange city before I have found companions. I pass the lighted window of a shop where perfume is sold. The window is filled with pieces of colored glass, tiny transparent bottles in delicate colors like bits of shattered rainbows. Then all at once my sister touches my shoulder. I turn around and I look into her eyes tried to leave you behind me, but I am more faithful than I intended to be. I reach for a cigarette. I cross the street. I run into the movies or a bar. I buy a drink. I speak to the nearest stranger. Anything that can blow your candles out. 
But nowadays, the world is lit by lightning. Blow out your candles, Laura. And so goodbye.